Hey, queens and kings, this is Sharana Reeves, and you are listening to another episode of These Three Things podcast. Each week now, I'm going to start just highlighting areas across the world that listen to these three things just to say thank you. And one specific area that I want to highlight today, because you guys have been faithful listeners from the very beginning, uh, and your numbers and downloads continue to just go up and go up every week. And I just want to acknowledge you and let you know that I see that you're listening, and I appreciate you. And that's Canada. Canada, I just want to say thank you. In Ontario, New Brunswick, Alberta, you guys are listening, and I appreciate you. Apparently, you're sharing because I don't know anyone in Canada. And the fact that you guys found this podcast and you're listening, I appreciate it. These three things was created to unify black women. Uh, I pray that it is it. I pray that it is a blessing to you. And I pray that you are sharing it because you believe that it will be a blessing to others. Uh, my goal for this podcast is to create unity and support and generate kindness between us as black women because we are leaving all of the petty behind in 2020. We're not taking anything like jealousy, envy, comparison, competition. We're not taking any of that into 21. So if you're still about that life, leave it behind, sis, because it is not serving us as black women at all. We are about unity, support, and kindness, period in 2021. That's the train we're on. So if you're about that, jump on. So Canada, I appreciate you for jumping on the train with us into 2021. And um, thank you. I appreciate you. Now I have a quick story to tell you guys about a listener in New York. And this is a funny story. So I know I'm going to laugh through it. Now, everybody knows I'm a Southern girl and New York listens in major numbers as well. And I just want to say thank you. But I got an email this past week from a male listener who said to me that most of the time he can't he couldn't tell that I was from the South until I get serious about what I'm saying or passionate about what I'm saying. And then all of my country just comes right out. (laughs) And I had to laugh because he's telling the truth. And when I go back and listen to the playbacks and hear myself saying uh, he done done, he done said, finna, shoulda. I have to giggle because all of my Dilton comes out, which back when we were growing up as kids, this is like the Run DMC era, the LL Cool J. We grew up like when rap first came out and we used to call our little area Hollis Dilton. (laughs) So shout out to my New York brother from this Hollis Dilton, Tennessee girl. I appreciate you listening. And yes, sir, my country does come out when I get hype with it. So uh, thank you for listening. Now, let's talk about today's episode, Mothers Against Racism. I'm talking today with a really good friend of mine who is a co-founder of this organization, Daniel LaForce. Daniel was a college women's head basketball coach for many years. She has a son who plays for the Los Angeles Clippers, Terrence Mann. She and her co-founder, Donna Marshall, who is a white woman, came together in light of the murder of George Floyd and decided to create an organization because of the fact that they were both moms. And as mothers, we all know, more than anything, we want our kids to be protected. And they wanted to interview women who are in every walk of life that can share some insight on how we as mothers can protect our children against racism and also educate our children on how 
to not continue to carry racism on. I love what this organization stands for. I wanted to share her story and this organization on these three things podcast because I think as women and many of us who listen are mothers, uh, I think this is a good tool for us and good information. Daniel will also share in this episode how you guys can follow and support. So let's get into her story and Mothers Against Racism. Enjoy. This is Sharonna Reeves, and you are listening to These Three Things Podcast. My guest today is Dania LaForce, a.k.a. Mrs. Benton. And uh, in her absence today, we want to acknowledge her co-founder of uh, Mothers Against Racism, Donna Marshall. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about the organization that Dania and Donna started, uh, Mothers Against Racism, and then other things in regards to racism and what she's learned since starting this organization. If you've been a consistent listener of these three things, then you know that in the beginning of each episode, I always like to talk about how I know uh, the guest that I'm talking to, or if I know the guest that I'm talking to, and a little bit of backstory about that information. So I'm going to kick it to Dania. And now I have several names for Dania. Dania and I know each other extremely well. So if I say D or New York, uh, I am referring to Dania, but I'm going to send it to Dania and let her tell a little bit about how she and I know each other. Go yes. ahead. Um, Sharon and I met years ago when we were both assistant coaches in the Big East. I was an assistant coach at St. John's, and she was an assistant coach at West Virginia. And back in those in those days, there weren't a lot of uh, female African-American coaches, yeah. so we connected right away. You know, we're both mothers, we're both mothers, we're both married at the time, and really found time to kind of talk about our personal lives and how we balanced being a wife and being a mother and such successful coaches in the Big East. So that started our friendship, and it's been blossoming since then, since that day. Yeah, we'd see each other on the road, you know, have long talks, Mm -hmm. and just, uh, like you said, connected, and have just maintained our friendship over the years, and has some Great fun at Final Fours. Yes, yes. <laughs> All over the world. Ran you the know. streets, yeah, <laughs> as yeah, you like to put yeah. it. Ran the streets back in the day, just enjoying, you know, uh, doing our passion mm-hmm. and uh, helping young ladies and, and helping, like you said, and helping our bosses be successful. Yeah. That was a good yeah. time. The Big East was a lot of fun back then. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so let's get started. You know, let's get started talking about Mothers Against Racism. But before we, we get off into the organization, I want to give, you know, my listeners a little backstory about you, where you come from, your upbringing, and then how you and Donna came together and got it started. So let's just start off with uh, a little bit about your background mm-hmm. and um, you as a young girl and about your parents' background. Great. Um, I came to the United States when I was four years old, going on five. And I was born in St. Lucia in the West Indies. Uh, My mom had left me when I was about two years old to come to America to kind of, you know, make a better life for for herself and and, and me. Okay. Um, So I spent two years uh, in St. Lucia without my mom. I was raised by my grandmother. And we lived in a small house in St. Lucia. And I think there were maybe about eight or nine of us in the house. I had a lot of cousins and aunts that all lived together. Um, And I was the only one that didn't have my mom there at the time. Mm. So I was raised by my aunts and my my grandmother and my mom. I remember she would send barrels of clothing and candy home. Yeah. you know, to St. Lucia for me. And I thought, wow, America must be great. My, my mom is sending clothes yeah. and candy. And, yeah. you know, I was so excited when she finally sent for me. And she waited till she was established, right. had her own apartment in America and to, to, to send for me. So yeah. she wanted to make sure she was ready to raise me in an environment that was safe and secure and, and that she could, you know, take care of me. And so when she when she moved to America, she moved to New York? New York, yes. Okay, okay. So your first, you came straight, straight from St. Lucia to yeah. New York. Uh-huh. Yeah, and uh, I remember meeting her on the airport that first day, and Sharon, it was like meeting a stranger. Because I was I'm two sure. when she left, I'm sure. and now I'm four, and... You know, I'm on a plane by myself. Well, she sent me with a chaperone. Okay. So I was on a plane with a man I didn't know, and I'm just, you know, a little girl just afraid and don't know. All I knew was my mother's name was Lucia. Yeah. Because my grandmother and my aunts would refer to my mother as your mother, Lucia. Yeah. So I didn't grow up calling her mom. To this day, I call her Lucia. I've I've never called my mother mom, mama, nothing. It's been Lucia. So I get off this plane as a little girl, and... You know, first of all, first time on a plane, I'm scared. Mm-hmm. It's bumpy. I don't know the man I'm sitting next to. I even remember getting locked into the bathroom. I went into the into the bathroom on the plane, and he showed me how to unlock the door when I came out. But I'm four years old. I don't. Right. I'm not paying attention to that. I was locked into the bathroom for a good five minutes trying to get out. That was my first experience on a plane. So I land and I'm walking wow. through, and all of a sudden, this lady, uh, she just she's just picks me up and holds me and kisses me. And I'm like, who are you? And why are you touching me? And, you know, it was, it was so shocking. It was so shocking for me as a little child, but needless to say, um, you know, my mom pampered me and showered me. I mean, when I got to the apartment, I had new clothes. I had a bike I had, and I was just like, this This is is Christmas. America is great. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I'm reconnected to my mom. She's lavishing me with all these things that she probably couldn't afford when I was younger, or she couldn't wait to, for me to come to America so she can give me those things. And so my first experience in America in New York city was great. Uh, My mom and I were very, very close from that day on. And I just remember my mom working two and three jobs. I just remember her. She worked at Glenby Cosmetics. She um, had another part-time job. She even went to school. So she really believed in the American dream. Yeah. And for her, that was work for what you want. Yeah. If you want lavish things in life, a great education, you have to work hard to attain it. 
And that was my first experience of the American dream and working hard. Yeah. My dad wasn't in my life at the time. I didn't even meet my father until I was about 12 years old. He okay. came back into my life. Okay. And when I was 13, they got married. So my dad had been in my life from 13, obviously, all the way till now. Um, just another person I didn't know right. <laughs> and I had to get reintroduced to my yeah. father. Um, they were both obviously were are from the Caribbean. Um, and you know, that was basically my upbringing, just, yeah. just meeting my parents later on in my life and getting to know them as, 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 you know, hardworking, uh, immigrants yeah. who were trying to fight for the American dream for their daughter. So question. So with a mom who worked several jobs, and a dad who you met later in life. Do you think that made you independent very early? Definitely. Um, I was what was considered a latchkey kid. Yeah. yeah. And um, I didn't go to elementary school in my neighborhood. I went to elementary school outside of my neighborhood. Okay. So at a very young age, I would have to get on the D train at Church Avenue by myself, go two stops to President Street, get yeah. off, go upstairs, walk to my school, after school, do the same thing. Come back, take the train two stops to Church Avenue. Yeah. I had the key to the apartment. I would go into the apartment, and I could not leave until my parents came home from work. And isn't it funny how we grew up the same? My mom and dad would be gone to work before we'd catch the bus, mm -hmm. and we'd get home before they got home from work, and we just followed the rules. Mm -hmm. You know, you had yeah. your system. You didn't deviate from it. No. Nope. When you got in the house, you locked the door, yeah. and you stayed in the house until yeah. mom and dad got home or yeah. mom got home yeah. or... Nowadays, that no, <laughs> that doesn't happen. No. So and we lived on the fourth floor in an apartment complex. Yeah. And I remember when I got home from school, I obviously had to go in, lock the door behind me, and I couldn't move. I had to do my homework. And I would remember sitting, opening the windows, and looking out the window at all the children that were outside playing after school. Uh, yeah. And I could not do that. I yeah. had to wait till they came home. And by the time they came home, it's dark. It's yeah. late. Everyone's back inside. But... I just remembered, heck, why can't I be like those kids? Why can't my parents be home yeah. so I can go outside and play mm -hmm. with these kids that are outside? And yeah. I would spend hours sitting in that window watching all the kids yeah. play. <laughs> That's deep. That's mm -hmm. deep. So in like, you know, as let's just say from the time that, you know, you came to America to be with your mom, mm -hmm. like as a child, did your was race ever brought up in your home? Was race ever talked about in your home? Were there conversations about race yeah. in your home ever? Never. Never. And I think it's because in St. Lucia, where we're from, there's no racism. Everyone's black. Yes. There's classism. There's lower class, middle class, and upper class. Okay. And my mom was poor. Our family was poor in St. Lucia. So we knew if we wanted anything, we had to work hard to yeah. get it. So we brought that mindset to America. My mom brought it to America. And... I was raised in that whatever you want in life, you have to be well-educated mm -hmm. and you have to work hard. Mm -hmm. So she would send me to very good private schools, you know, yeah. the elementary school, Catholic school that I went to. Um, she had to pay the tuition. I don't know how she did it, but yeah. maybe those three jobs did help. <laughs> but my tuition was paid every month and it was very expensive for her back then. Yeah. Um, I went to a private all-girls Catholic high school. Again, she paid the tuition. Um, you know, she just really instilled in me that whatever I wanted to achieve in life, mm -hmm. one, I had to have a great education and two, I had to have a great work ethic. Yeah. It wasn't about my race. Yeah. There was nothing that I felt like I couldn't do because I was black. Yeah. You know, my first experience with racism was 
when I was in high school, I mean elementary school, eighth grade, I was applying to high schools. And back then you had to put on the application your top three schools that you wanted to go to. Okay. Um, I put Bishop Carney High School, which was an all-girls Catholic high school in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. Now, Bensonhurst, Brooklyn is an all-white Italian community. Yes. And that was my top choice because I wanted to play basketball and my eighth grade coach was going to be the high school coach there. So she wanted to make sure I followed her. Yes. My principal, Sister Kathleen, I'll never forget this. Mm -hmm. When she saw my top three choices, Bishop Carney was number one. St. Joseph's, which was an all black Catholic high school in downtown Brooklyn, was number two. She pulled me in her office right away and she said, Dania, you can't go to Bishop Carney High School. You're black. And I said, well, wait, wow. I'm black? What? I didn't know I was black. I like I didn't know I had a limit yeah. on what I can and cannot yeah. do based on my, my color. Mm. And she said, no, you can't go there. You're black. It's an all-white school. You need to go to St. Joseph's, downtown Brooklyn, where it's an all-black Catholic high school. Yeah. That's where you need to be. And you know what? Instead of getting intimidated by that or feeling that I was put in my place, it gave me a motivation to prove her wrong. Yeah. Because my mom had never put limits on me as a child. Mm -hmm. You know? Eddie, come on in and just say hello. You're in the camera. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Daniel's husband, Eddie, just came in. Come in and just say hi real quick. Just say he's hello. He's being the paparazzi yeah, for us right He's now. taking pictures of us, so we just need to acknowledge him <laughs> since he's in the camera. He, he didn't know. but. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, you know, my mom never put limits on me. She never told me because I was black, I could not do X, Y, and Z. So that yeah. was my first experience with that. And it motivated me. Like, I wanted to prove Sister Kathleen wrong. Because when I got home and told my mom what Sister Kathleen said, she said, that's crap. Yeah. You know, you're going where you want to go. Right. And your color has nothing to do with anything. Yeah. And she said, you know, i never forget this conversation. She said that sometimes you have to be the token black. Mm -hmm. You know, and you go to that school and you be the token black and you be the, be the best person for that school yeah and you stand out as a black woman you yeah. you stand out and I'll never forget that conversation yeah. with her do you think that being raised in St. Lucia and being raised around like the caste caste system was different in St. Lucia as opposed to the United States like in St. Lucia there was just levels of as far as finances yes. poverty or yes. you know you were wealthy middle class or lower class That's right so there was no box placed on you as far as the color of your skin. Right. So you grow up in that environment as a young person mm -hmm. and you don't have an experience of anything that's told you different, that mm -hmm. you can't be anything that you want to be until that moment. Do you think that having grown up in a place like St. Lucia shaped how you, how you still see racism to this day and how, uh, for me as a African-American woman with African-American parents, all in the United States, growing up in the deep South, because mm -hmm. I'm from Tennessee, how I see racism mm -hmm. and how you see racism. Definitely, there is a difference. Yeah, talk about that. I will walk into a room and not even say, wow, I'm the only black person in the room, or walk into a store and maybe be followed by the owner and not even realize it, because racism, its a red flag doesn't go up for me when it comes to racism, Yeah, you know? I'm just going about my business. I'm just doing my thing. And I think that's because I was raised the way I was, where race was never 
a hurdle. Yes. Race, race was never something that I had to be conscious of yeah. in order to do what I wanted to do. Yeah. And that's change. That's change for me. That, that, that view of racism has changed. And I think it's because of everything that I have witnessed not gone through because if I'm not perceptive of it, it doesn't really affect me. Yes. But what I'm witnessing that's happening across mm -hmm. America. Mm -hmm. And I feel it's my, uh, my job, my duty to bring awareness to mm -hmm. what's happening mm -hmm. because I don't think there's a voice yeah. for a lot of what's going on in America. And but prior to, I think, the whole George Floyd murder, you were you didn't want to talk about racism. Right. You didn't want to talk about the prejudices that were happening right. to you. And now the tables have flipped. If you're not talking about it, then you're complicit. Right. Right? If you're not having, if you don't think there's something wrong with it, you're complicit with what's happening in yes. America. And I think that's the difference right now. People have ha have to have a voice. So my voice is not from my experience growing up, but as a mother. Yes. Now raising two African American boys yeah. in today's America. Yeah. And you are an only child. I don't think we I said am. that, but you are I an only am. child. I'm spoiled. Yeah. Yes. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> I mean, as as when there's just one, I yes. mean there's, what else is there to there's do? There's no one else to give it to, exactly. so they give it all to exactly. me, right? Exactly. That's not my it's fault. Not, it's not a problem. <laughs> it's not a problem. You know, when I think about your experience, and I will tell you that the first time I really realized the caste system, now growing up, I went to you know, I'm a Southern girl, like I said. I grew up uh, going to, we lived in, my parents built a house out in the country. It's no longer the country now because the town is much bigger than it was when I grew up, but they built a house out in the country. And I went to like a little country school, a mm -hmm. little country elementary school from K through eighth grade. And I don't remember experiencing overt racism, mm -hmm. but what I do remember experiencing is a caste system mm -hmm. that I was supposed to stay within. Yes, yes. And that my teachers, whether intentionally or subconsciously, and I and I look back on a lot of those teachers that I really enjoyed, mm -hmm. um, made it very clear that that I was different. Mm -hmm. And some of the kids, you could tell by the conversations that were going on in their homes, by how they treated some of us, that I was different. Mm -hmm. I just grew up knowing. Uh, I remember as a little kid out in my neighborhood that the Ku Klux Klan had like a rally, like not far from where my school was. Mm. And I just remember being as a young girl, like not understanding that because me and my white friends would go to school and have, you know, great fun. Mm -hmm. It was only until I went to college as a freshman and I took an African-American studies course. And I hear so many people share this exact mm -hmm. same story about how, they took an African-American studies mm -hmm. course. Mm -hmm. And then as a black person, you begin to realize how much your people contributed to yes. society, how much we were so much more than just slaves. Mm -hmm. And it made me think back to young Sharana when I was in third grade and I'm looking at the history books and I'm being just told that I was a slave. Mm. And not only did it diminish me, it made me angry. Like I was really, really really angry for a long time at white people because of that, because of the fact that you intentionally withheld very important information that shapes not only my perspective or trajectory, 
but my whole culture's perspective and trajectory. And so it took me a long time to get over that. I will be honest. It took me a long time to get over it. And like you, I took it as a challenge, though. Right. That, okay, so this is who you, who you said that we are. Right. I'm going to prove you wrong and yeah. show you that we're so much more than that. Right. I also think that African women that I know, um, that I have built relationships with, mm-hmm. women that are from Africa that moved to the United States, they see racism like you yes. see racism yes. because they grew up in Africa around black people. Right. You know, they know where they came from. They know uh, racism when they come to America and they know racism exists, but mm-hmm. they, don't ex- they, they don't see it or yeah. view it the same. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, my mom gave me this conversation. That was probably the first time we had a conversation about race yeah. was when Sister Kathleen told me I don't belong at, at Bishop Carney. Yeah. I went on to be the junior class president and the school president my senior year. I just got coach heels. I said, you know, <laughs> if my mom, you know what I mean? If they, yeah. I'm going to show them that I belong yeah. at Bishop Carney High School. Um, but I'll tell you the story. My, my sophomore year, Yusef Hawkins, I don't know if you remember that name. I do. Yusef Hawkins was a black kid who was dating a white girl in that neighborhood. Yeah. And I guess he went to visit her, and the guys in the neighborhood was very upset that he was black and dating a white girl from their neighborhood Mm -hmm. and ended up killing him. Yeah. That was my sophomore year. During that time, there there were riots, obviously, um, Protests. That was the first time I really witnessed protesting. Black people coming to Bensonhurst, marching in the streets about the unjust killing of Yusuf uh, Hawkins. Mm-hmm. And for about two months after that, Sharana, I had to be escorted every day from my school to the train station because wow. yeah, because there were white people outside the school. There were it was like Armageddon outside. And I had to be escorted from my, my, the front doors of my, my high school to the train station for two months during, during that unrest. So when you got inside of Bishop Kearney and you were in there with the predominantly white student body, yes. was there tension for you at that time not or not all. inside the school? Not at all. Um, at that time, no. I mean, at that, you know what, what's funny? Um, <laughs> Bishop Kearney, <laughs> I look back on it now and I'm like, this is really nuts. But... The girls, it was all white, all white, I mean, sorry, all female high school, yeah. okay? So you're in class with all girls. They don't care how they look. They don't care about anything. We're just in, in the classroom right. learning. We're yeah. not worried about the boy that's sitting next to us that we may like. I mean, yeah. we're just in there learning. At this missile, when I tell you the girls' bathroom was flooded with girls putting on makeup and <laughs> lipstick and because all the boys are waiting outside, yeah. right? yeah. So I'm in classroom feeling normal all day. Mm-hmm. And at dismissal, when I go into the bathroom, I see all those girls putting on their makeups and doing their hair and all that stuff. Yeah. That's when the first time I look in the mirror and say, oh, shit, I'm black. Wow. I'm black. And not that I wanted to go impress the boys outside, but yeah. why aren't I in the mirror trying to get all dolled up yeah. for what's waiting outside? Yeah. And I would go literally go in the mirror and look at myself and be like, wow, I'm black. I'm different. And that was the only time... I would really feel different in that environment yeah. was when I looked in the mirror because there was nothing going on during the day that made me feel different. And, well, A, that makes me really happy that yeah. you were yeah. going through your days every day at Bishop Carney feeling different. No, no. But I will tell you something that, I, that you made me instantly think of. My daughter, 
never knew that we were different complexions. And, oh, you know, for wow. people who don't, you know, yeah. I mean, I've probably talked about my kids enough at this point, mm-hmm. but Kim is probably Dania's color. Yes. And my daughter told me that she never knew that she and I were a different complexion mm-hmm. until somebody at her school told her. Wow. I was just mom. Yeah. And I thought, how much yeah. of this stuff is like put on us? Mm-hmm. My daughter said it never even, like mm-hmm. she said in that day when her friend said, oh, so... You're dark skin and your mom's light skin. Yeah. And Kim said that she looked at her skin. <laughs> and then she went home and looked in the mirror. Wow. Mm-hmm. But then she was like, but that's my mom. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. yeah. And it didn't affect me because my mother's voice was in my head. Yeah. And you know what? The same is with your mom. Mm-hmm. Your mom's a lighter skin woman. Yes. Yeah. 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 My, my mom's voice was in my head. You are beautiful. You yes. are black. Yes. Be proud of it. Prove them wrong. Yes. Be the best token black. If that's what they're gonna that's make what you, it's gonna be, yeah. be the best one they ever had. Yeah. And this, you know, I would there was, you know, oh, I look in the mirror, I'm black. Wow, I'm not I don't I don't I'm not gonna put on the, the pink lipstick or the red lipstick, right? Right. right. And I don't care about the boys that are standing outside. Right. Okay, I'm black, all right, fine. But you know what? I'm beautiful, I'm going home. You know? Good for so you. she really shaped my um my impression about racism whenever I was confronted with it. Yeah. I just knew it was no big deal and I yeah. just had to keep it moving. You are listening to These Three Things Podcast with Sharana Reeves and Daniela Force, co-founder of Mothers Against Racism. We'll be right back. If you want to find more information about this episode and my guest, go to www.these3-things.com. Go to our podcast page and click on this episode. For almost a century, Scarrett Bennett Center's historic Gothic campus has been a choice location for dream weddings in Nashville. Consistently rated one of Music City's best places to get married by The Knot, Wedding Wire, and Toast of Nashville, Scarrett Bennett Center offers three timeless venues for your wedding, a 20-person elopement chapel, a 300-person wedding chapel, and a breathtaking garden. From rehearsal to reception, Scarrett Bennett Center is ready to help you create the intimate, historic wedding of your dreams. Visit our website at scarrettbennett.org forward slash weddings for more information. Have you always been vocal about racism? No. And speaking up when you saw it, instances that happened? Not at all. Um, I never really connected connected the dots back to me, mm-hmm. you know, what, what, whatever was going on mm-hmm. in the world, it didn't affect me. Um, and it's funny because my mom said to me the other day that she has a hard time watching any movies about, with slavery. Yeah. Um, and I, I didn't know that. I didn't know she made that connection because mm-hmm. to me, she was just like, we, we are who we are. We're going to get it done. Um, and it's because where we're from, we were the, the blacks the Africans who got dropped off yeah. on the islands before they continued on to yeah. America. So we are descendants of slaves. Yes. And we happen to not make that second journey yeah. from the islands to America. So I started to when she, you know, I started to do a little bit more, feel a little bit more connected, I would say. Yeah. To the American um, slavery. Right. Because, because you're thinking that could have that been That could have been my ancestors. ancestors. Yeah. And my ancestors were sent to America. Yeah. Some of us stayed behind and some went on. Yeah. So that kind of developed an, a, a greater connection to the American slave, uh, slavery story. Yeah. Um, 
And for me, it really didn't hit me until I had children. Yeah. Because, you know, you know, obviously I have two sons. Mm-hmm. Martin is is twenty one, and Terrence is tw- actually Martin is twenty two. Mm-hmm. Terrence is going to be twenty four <laughs> in October, October eighteenth, and just watching how um, people viewed them yeah. as uh, being intimidated by them. And they're both six, seven. Yeah. So not only are they black, but they're big, tall yes. guys, right? Yes. And I just watched people be intimidated by them. Their presence. Their presence. Yeah. And that was scary. That's when I really said, you know what? I have to do something about this. I want to ask you just a couple of questions, and I want you to share with me your thoughts on each one. How much of the caste system uh, do you think is about lack of education? I, I think on both parts. I think on the person who is experiencing the racism and the person who's being racist. I think lack of education on both parts. Mm-hmm. I think um, on the person who is exhibiting those racist behaviors, they are obviously ignorant mm-hmm. and not knowledgeable of other, of the person that they're, you know, Yeah being prejudiced towards. They don't understand our story. Yeah. They don't understand our history. They don't care to understand. They don't want to understand. Right. They're trying to self-promote who they are. Right. There's some sort of insecurity um, and, and lack of education, not not academic education, but just being educated Social on- Social education. Yeah, on other people, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I think definitely there's a lack of education that that causes racist behavior. Um, and I also think the person that are, that's- being um, is know, experiencing, experiencing the mm-hmm. racism, lack of education in, in terms of no, be proud of who you are. Mm-hmm. Get to know your own history. Get to know your family's history. Yeah. Get to know the struggle of your people and be proud that we have done built this country right. on our, you know, our blood, sweat, and tears. We yeah. built this country. We should be proud of that. Yeah. And they unfortunately try to, they try to put us down so much. I agree with that, but unfortunately, we find it out way too late. Definitely. We find I that agree. out way too late. Like that would have been powerful to know for me in third grade, mm, mm. you know, because Sharonda wouldn't have had all these mental hurdles that yeah. she's got to always overcome instead of just knowing. Like, I don't have to yeah. do all of that. And they like, don't teach us for on purpose, just for that reason, because they know it will empower us. Absolutely. And they don't teach it. Absolutely. Next question. How much of the caste system do you think is about how you're raised? Uh, a lot of it. Um, generational racism, I think, really... Um, is a big cause for how someone operates and and behaves when it comes to others. Um, I think, for example, if you're a child, a young child, say three years old, and you're walking, say say you're a white child, and you're walking with your white mom through the store, down the supermarket Mm -hmm. aisle, and a black man is coming towards your mom, and you see your mom clutch her purse Mm -hmm. and pull you along, that right there, that behavior right there, subtle but powerful, tells you as a child, Fear that person. Yes. Your mom might, might not. Your mom might not say, you know, fear a black man. But those subtle behaviors and even uh, lack of diversity, not had given you playdates who are of different cultures and race. Um, you know, only keeping you in 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 a system where you're just around your own people, and you're being told that others are in, you know, inferior, inferior, mm-hmm. and do not deserve the same respect are lazy, are no good, that's what you're going to grow up thinking and believing. Right. And I think um, it's, it's very important for 
it, 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 may, it may not even be your mom and dad. It may be your grandfather right. or your uncle at Thanksgiving who uses the N-word right. you know, 50 million times during dinner and you're a child sitting there. I definitely think a lot of the behaviors of racist um, people are coming from a source where that's your... Of how they were yeah, raised. Yeah, grandparents, aunts, uncles. It's definitely that. And okay. on, on the opposite end of it, too, if you're white, I think, and you're not racist, mm-hmm. you can go back to one person in your family who taught you to appreciate diversity. Yes. Who exposed you to diversity. Yes. Who had friends that were diverse. Who, it could be a grandmother, mm-hmm. an aunt, an uncle, but there was always someone. Or exhibited in front of you. Exactly. There was all, and I find that because I talk to my white friends mm-hmm. that are open and, and, and not racist and not biased. And I said, who was that person? And it's always my mom, my dad, my grandmother. It's always someone in that generation that was different. Yeah. And I was speaking to um, a white woman uh, about her upbringing. And she thinks it's very similar to mine Mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, growing up, you know, poor and and really relying on your work ethic to get what you want. Yeah. And she said, we're similar. You know, we're the same. And I said, no, we're not. Because if you and I go into a bank and both of us apply for a loan, you're going to get it, and I won't. If you and I go into a store, you're, go- you're not going to be followed. I am. Yes. There's so many things that are in place to allow them to be successful, dis- despite their upbringing. Yes. That we don't have the luxury of getting or having. Right. So we could grow up the same, same story, same experiences coming, you know, single mom, you know, whatever, but society allows them to have access to so much more than we, what we are allowed to have access to. Right. So we are held back because of our race, Mm -hmm. because of color of our skin. They're not. So that's where I think the difference is, you know, for, for them and for us. Yeah. I, I, I agree. And when you say we walk in the bank, and we're saying all things being equal. We yes. have the exact same credit score. You know, there's no difference yes. in anything between us right. and the opportunities that are afforded to them mm-hmm. as opposed to what is afforded to us. Right. And in all those cases, I know you're talking about in all things being equal. Right. You know, housing. Um, yeah. Housing. You know, if I, if I walk into I'm buying a house and my husband and I walk in and the realtor sees that we're black, we have less of a chance of getting that house. So now my children can't live in that environment. Right. They can't be raised in the house. We have to go to a one-bedroom apartment and, you know. And build from and, there. And build from there. And, it, and even on the res- reverse side of that, say you own a home and you're trying to sell it. It's yes. almost to the point that appraisals, when you come in and get your home appraised mm-hmm. to find its value and they see that it's African-Americans living in the home, right. your home is appraised sometimes Thirty to forty thousand less than mm-hmm. what it's worth because of who's living in it. Right. And I've and I've lately been reading so many cases where black people have had to have white people come to their homes and be there yes. when the appraisal shows up, That's so right. that the appraisal appraiser assumes that it's a white home, mm-hmm. and the value of the home goes up miraculously sixty thousand right. dollars. And so even when we are allowed to obtain. Mm-hmm. Then when we're trying to sell and continue to move upward or, you know, create generational wealth for our families, it's even still diminished in our return on our investment. That's right. So what brought you and Donna together to create Mothers Against Racism? Well, Donna and I... And who reached out to who? Yeah. Donna and I have known each other for uh, a very, very long time. 
When I was the head coach at Northeastern, I was the head coach there for eight seasons. Donna and I met through a mutual friend, Shannon Allen, okay. Ray, Ray Allen's wife. Okay. She was having a Mother's Day brunch, and ironically, and invited me to the brunch, and I met Donna at the brunch. Okay. Now, Donna... Uh, graduated from Northeastern. Okay. So that was our initial connection. So we sat at that brunch and we talk, we spoke for a very, very long time and yeah. just made a connection there. And it was, um, I think, the Sunday after George Floyd's murder. Mm-hmm. I think it was Memorial Day weekend. Um, I woke up and I had a text from Donna and it said, give me a call. I need to talk to you about something. Okay. And I waited a couple of days because I had been in such a depressed, depressed state for you know, months yeah. over the whole coronavirus yeah. thing and not being, and I'm a social butterfly. You yes, know me, you are. I'm a social butterfly, right? <laughs> I couldn't go out to see my friends. I couldn't go out to dinner. I couldn't, you know, socialize. I was depressed. I gained 25 pounds from March till, till June. Yeah. It was just the worst thing ever. So I got the text message. I read it. I rolled over and I was like, no, I don't want to, you know, I don't even want to talk right to anybody. Now. Not right now. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, obviously the murder, murder had happened and I, that just made it even worse mm-hmm. for me because when I watched that video, I saw my son, mm. I saw my son under the knee mm-hmm. of officer Chauvin mm-hmm. and I was down and depressed and I didn't know what she wanted. And I was really, you know, and, and it was that Monday after I received the text, I said, Dania, get off the couch, mm-hmm. get up, get off the couch, stand up and do something. Mm-hmm. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Stop feeling sorry. Get up and do something. Mm-hmm. And I called her. Lord put it on my spirit to yeah. say, call Donna. I called Donna. She said, did you see what happened? This is just disgusting. I can't. We have to do something. Yeah. We have to do something. And I said, Donna, well, wh- what can we do? What do we have in common? What's mm-hmm. going to be our connection that's going to make it powerful enough yeah. to send the right message? She said, Dania, we're both mothers. And when I saw and heard George Floyd cry out for his Mm. mother, it touched my heart as deeply as it touched yours. Mm -hmm. And that was our connection. You know, we're both mothers. We're both passionate about children. Mm -hmm. We're both passionate about the social injustice that's Mm -hmm. going on in this country. We had a connection and we had a vision and we just decided to stand up for it. It's funny because Donna and I are completely different. Okay. Obviously, she's white. I'm black. She's about four foot eleven. Yeah. <laughs> I'm six one. <laughs> uh, you know, but one yeah. thing we had in common: well, we were both mothers, and yeah. we were both we were both fed up. Yeah. We were both fed up at that time. So we had several conversations. We would talk two or three times a week about what it was going to look like. Mm-hmm. We needed a logo. We needed a platform. Mm-hmm. We needed a, a mission statement. Yes. There were so many things. Donna is also a, an accountant. Okay. So she did all the the back, you know, the back work. Yeah. The LL, establishing an LLC. Yes. Um, she's working on trademarking right now. She was the one that ha- did all the technical stuff. Yes. And I was the one who did more of the branding. I yes. got the logo created, did all the Facebook, Twitter, social media socials, uh, stuff. Yeah. Um, put stuff, you know, Initially, we were, we didn't know where we were going with mm-hmm. it. You know, it's developing more and more each day. First, we just wanted to be an educational resource. We just wanted to put information out there for mothers who were looking for answers mm-hmm. on how to have that conversation with your child about mm-hmm. race, mm-hmm. what to do if your child experience, experiences racism. Yes. If you are a minority or majority, what? how do you 
educate your child so that way they don't exhibit those racist behaviors. Yeah. Like we just wanted to be an educational resource. Yes. We just wanted to curate and, and, and create content for mothers all across the world just to have that conversation. Yeah. And as we were going, and we did that, but as we were going, we needed, we realized not only should there be information, but also conversation. Mm-hmm. And right. I just feel like sometimes when you don't know someone, it's easy to label them and cast them. Yes. When you get to know their story and how different things that they experience affect them emotionally, physically, so in so many ways, you have like a little, a different view of them. Yes. So I think that conversation was very important for us to have. So that's why we started having the, the live Facebook live and YouTube live conversations mm-hmm. with mothers. Your guest range, there have been, you know, it's been from Kevin Durant's mom. Yes. What's, is it Wanda? Wanda. Yeah, Wanda. Wanda her uh, her episode I thought was really yes. great and informative. Mm-hmm. You've had a judge on, you've had a mayor on. Mm-hmm. Um, what can listeners expect to see? Wide ranges from white people to black people yeah. to share what one common denominator. We're all they're all mothers. Yeah, they're all mothers and feel responsible to not only for their own children but responsible for the children in America to make sure that they don't grow up to be racist and they understand the impact of their words and their behaviors on others. Yeah. I think we wanted to make sure mothers had a voice yeah. and knew that they could do something about what's happening in America. Mm-hmm. And the mayor of Gloucester, mm-hmm. Safitia Thaken, yes. you have to listen to yeah. that I'm going episode. To. I'm going to. Oh my yeah. God, she was phenomenal. But she said something that was so important. She said... As a white, and now she's Sicilian. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So she's very close to the black. I mean, yeah, you know, right. right? Or, oh, you know, a minority in terms of Absolutely. the Italian culture. Sicilians are not really seen as, as valued or, right? Right. So, but she's white nonetheless, mm-hmm. right? She said, she said, I'm sorry. I can't continue to, we can't continue, as we as in white people can't continue to say we're sorry. We, we, we're sorry for what our ancestors did. Well, we have to do something about it. You know, we yes. have to do something about it. She said for every, she said one white woman, one white mother should adopt five inner city kids and pay for their education. Yeah. That's doing something. Yeah. You know, stop feeling, being sorry. We know you're sorry to those who are truly sorry. We know it was your ancestors, but what are we going to do as mothers to change it? So right. I think our platform provides that type of conversation yeah. and action, yeah. action items. What are we going to do? Uh, I want to also to acknowledge, okay, Dania has two sons, as she just mentioned, um, you know, 22 and soon to be 24. Yes. And um, her son, Terrence, is an NBA player who plays for the Los Angeles Clippers, Mm -hmm. Terrence Mann. And most people would thank Dania for uh, a woman who has a son who plays in the NBA, who, you know, obviously is acquiring wealth by being a professional athlete, that your problems are not like regular people's problems. Like, why would a, a woman who, you know, by all circumstances, you think, okay, you're not dealing with, you know, what people in low-income homes are dealing with. That's not your existence. Um, but something that you said just really, you know, penetrated me was that when you saw George Floyd... Uh, you saw your sons. Mm -hmm. And so is that your motivation? My son is a traffic stop from being the next George Floyd. 
you know, and when he, if and when he does get stopped by the police, it's he's not stopped because he's an NBA player. He's not stopped because he's acquiring wealth. He's stopped because he's yeah a black male, and that's it. And I think, despite who you are, what you've acquired, what your 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 beliefs are, they don't see that. They just see our our color. Right. They just see us being a threat, mm-hmm. you know, a, per- a perpetrator. Um, that's all they see. A suspect. A suspect. Mm-hmm. And it has nothing to do with, with, you know, what we do for a profession. It has nothing to do about our passions. It has nothing to do about who we are, what our thoughts and beliefs are. It's all about our color. And there's no, no wealth that could change that. There's no, there's nothing in the world that can change our color. You know, and for me... I don't separate myself from the struggles of this, of my people, because my son's in the NBA. I am, I'm black. Yeah. And no one knows, they don't know me. They just see the color of my skin. That's the first thing that they see. Yeah. So if they're going to assume and label me based on that, then I have to be ready and prepared for standing up for my, my people. This is Sharana Reeves. I'm with Dania LaForce a.k.a. Mrs. Benton, and you're listening to these three things. We'll be right back. Do you need help building a website? Do you have a website that just doesn't reflect your personality? Then you need to call Brady Mills. Website design, e-commerce, and online marketing are a breeze with Brady. How do I know? Glad you asked. Brady built these three things website and has helped companies across the globe grow their online brand. Learn more or schedule your free consultation at BradyMills.com. That's B-R-A-D-Y-M-I-L-L-S.com. Daniel, so as we talk about Mothers Against Racism, are there any topics that you guys don't prefer to discuss on Mothers Against Racism? Yes, there are. Um, we are a nonprofit uh, organization, and therefore we do not discuss politics okay. at all. Okay. But what we will tell you is and implore, implore that you do is vote. Yeah. Exercise your right to vote. And you know what I love about it is that a lot of the women that you guys have spoken to, you and Donna have spoken to thus far, are women with older children mm-hmm. who, you know, have gone through the process of raising children who could really just, you know, coast. Yes. You know, I've done my job. I've raised my kids. You know, they're great kids out here in society. It's for the younger moms to do. And I love the fact that women who have already raised children are going back and saying, hey, moms, we've been where you are. You know, we want to get, we want to educate you. We Mm -hmm. want to, you know, share with you and give you tools because a lot of times, you know, depending on your situation when you're raising your children, finances, you know, married, going through a divorce, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of peaks and valleys that you experience when your children are young. If you have a career and if you have to travel with your career, That's right. all of these different variances that sometimes moms, we just need the tools. Mm-hmm. Like, give me a tool to know how to manage this specific thing right here. Right, right. And I think that's so powerful that you guys are, you ladies are going back and, you know, being a help to the moms and a help that you didn't necessarily have right. in these racial times, right. in these times where racism is just, you know, um, very prevalent for these young, right. these young children. Right. And yeah. there's one thing we try to express is diversity is important. Yeah, you know, have play dates for your children that are 
of other races. Yes. Be you know, intentional. Be intentional about what you're mm-hmm. exposing your children to. Yeah. I, I just think that's just that's just the key. That's yeah. just the key right there. And I hear you talk about your guests, and I can tell that you loved the conversation with each one of them. Is there something that you heard in one of the conversations that has stayed with you? Like long since that interview's been over, you still think about what that person said. Oh, definitely. And I go back to the mayor of Gloucester again. Yeah. I mean, she, <laughs> it, you know, we're having a conversation, you and I. Yeah. When you give, I give, we give, we go back and forth. Yes. The mayor spoke for 48 out of 48 minutes. <laughs> I don't think Donna and I had an opportunity to ask not one question during that interview. And yeah. it was a great interview because obviously people were there to hear what she had to say. Right, yeah. Uh, but one of the things that she did say that I found so fascinating was, uh, I guess, a, a, there was a, it was a Black, Matter, Black Lives Matter protest mm-hmm. march mm-hmm. in her city okay and she was with a little girl and i guess one of the you know anti-protesters yelled out you bitch and the little girl heard it and she started she got really upset and the mayor said to her don't you be upset at that yeah. that's a good thing you be a bitch and you know what that means being in total control of herself Mm. And she, her, her <laughs> motto is that she's a proud bitch, yeah. you know? And I thought that that was just fascinating because that word yeah. can be thrown around quite a bit and it's, it's very demeaning and yes. derogatory. However, when you flip it to, oh yeah, I'm that, I'm being in total control yes. of myself, of yes. her, I thought that was phenomenal. So I, I think that was just great. And, you know, her hashtag is proud bitch. Has Donna expressed to you uh, any... Uh, retaliation or any negative feedback that she has received yes. as a white woman who is involved and a co-founder of an organization yes. called Mothers Against Racism. I find that now that people are being so vocal on their social media platforms mm-hmm. about what's happening in the in America with the you know uh, racism and the social un- unrest, I think a lot of their f- people they work they considered friends mm-hmm. and like-minded are not that. Yeah, and I think you know she had made a, a recently she posted something about um, I believe it was I would say the president uh, I think it was but she went back and forth with a, a couple of her of her friends underneath that that post yeah and I I think you sometimes when you put your your thoughts and your beliefs out there on social media you find out who your real friends are. Yeah, and or how like they minded, think at least. Like-minded people, yeah. and how they think. Mm-hmm. And I'm shocked at, at some of my friends on my social media that say some of the things that they have said. How do you not recognize what's happening in this world? How do you not recognize systematic racism? How do you not stop and say, yeah, you know what? You probably were treated unfairly when it came to X, Y, and Z. If you know your friend's story, how do you not stop and say, I don't, I, I don't know how you feel. And now you're telling me how it made you feel. And for that, I, you don't have to, you know what I mean? You don't have to really totally believe it, but understand it and say, you know what, maybe you're right. Maybe there are some things in place out there in America that is preventing you from being better, a better you, right? Yeah. It's not my story. I don't know it. Maybe if, if you're telling me that that's how you feel, I appreciate that. I respect that. Yeah. But they are adamant that this stuff does not exist. Yes. But I think for an African-American woman who have a lot of white friends, for I was kind of offended at some yeah. of the things that they were saying. How could you have been my friend, my coworker, yeah. for so long 
and still have that stance. What does that say about the genuine, our relationship? How genuine really was it? Yeah. How super, was it superficial? Like that, I took offense to some of, yeah. the, some of their stance on, on, on the face, on social so media. Do you think that that was because they saw you as different than what they expected black people to be? So they were more comfortable with you? Because if yeah. you think about your experience just as a whole, Dania, you know, and I've always thought this about you. I don't know if I've ever said it to you, mm-hmm. but I have always thought Dania is way more comfortable around, around white people than I am. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm having conversation with you now and understanding how you grew up, you know, and what your experience was as a young girl um, shaped that ability to just be comfortable around anybody. You went to a predominantly white high school, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, I think that some college and college Georgetown university. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that a lot of times when we are in, not a lot of times, but sometimes when we're in relationships with white people, and we think everything's cool, and then you find out that they think something completely different yeah. than what you thought. I think sometimes they see us as, well, you're not really yeah, like, you're different. Yeah, like, you know, yeah. you're not really like what right. I think black people are. Right. Because right. you do these things. Yeah. You're articulate. Yeah. You speak really well. You have a really great job. Yeah. You yeah. raised an, an NBA player, yeah, you know? Yeah. And so they don't really see you like. I agree. I, I, I would have to agree with that. It, and it's funny because. I've had my hair natural now for about a year and a half, yeah. and I refuse to get a perm. I said, because I don't have to go out in white America anymore. Yeah. I'm no longer on the sidelines coaching. Yeah. I don't have to. I'm in love with my braids. Same. I walk around with my little bantu knots and my little twistsies, and you know, my husband may give me a little joke every now and then about how I look, but you know what? I don't have to please white America anymore. Yeah. You know, and, and, and being and a head coach. how liberating is that? Oh, and having an opinion. Oh. I mean, when we were coaching, we could not have an opinion. You know how I, how much I wanted to kneel when Colin Kaepernick oh. knelt. I wanted, and every time I heard the national anthem after that, I wanted to be like, "I want to kneel so bad, but you can't. You're a head coach. They're watching you. Yeah, you're you're eight. You know, this is white America. You have to play your role. You and your whole your livelihood is based on playing yes. your role. Yes, I couldn't have an opinion about the social injustice that was happening. I had to make sure my head was permed and wrapped and curled and tight and everything just because I of my where I was, what I was doing. And now that I haven't been coaching going on a year and a half, I am my true self. Can I just say, though, and it makes me really sad. <sighs> yeah. This is what they need to know, how it, all this affects us. The trauma? Mm. That we internalize. Yes. Because of what you just said. And as black women, and anybody who knows me knows I'm a crybaby. <laughs> anyway, but I can so relate to what you just said mm-hmm. because I remember when um, Eric Garner mm. was choked out in yes. New York. And I remember having to go to work the next day and nobody mentioned it. Mm. Nobody talked about it. And it wasn't even a place where I could really say anything about it. Mm -hmm. But I just witnessed a black man be choked in broad daylight by police for selling loose cigarettes who displayed no action of aggression, Mm -hmm. who did nothing to make anyone fear for for their lives. And I just remember no one saying anything about it. And I remembered 
you know, the black athletes that were at the program that I was in at that time, like coming to me and they needed to talk yeah. about it and they needed to release it. And there was just nowhere for them to go. Yeah. And it just makes me so sad because I think about all of the trauma that we as black people just stuff down. Yes. And that is why our health is so bad. Yes. That is why we have diabetes. Mm -hmm. We have mm -hmm. high blood pressure. Yes. We have cholesterol issues. It's not always even about what we're eating. Right. It's because internally yes. we have digested and, and, and swallowed so much to coexist in the world That's with right. white people that they have no idea None. that we have done at all mm -hmm. in a day's work you know, that physically it's killing us. Yeah. I it's agree. killing us. I agree. And I think, and you and I talked about this, the whole Black Lives Matter movement was has been around for quite some time. Mm -hmm. And only now has it really taken a turn for change and for awareness. And I think it's because white people are now involved. We have allies. I agree. We have males. We have generations, young kids, you know, teenagers, young adults, uh, the elderly, everyone is now staying, standing up for what has yeah. been happening. Yeah. And only now is, there, is, is it going to be changed because we have allies. Yeah. So for, for Donna and I to come together and say, no, it's not a black thing. Right. And it's not only a white thing, but together yeah. we could all stand up and say enough is enough. Yeah. Um. It's so funny because I know that some of my friends who listen to this episode are going to be like, and you cried. <laughs> What's new? <laughs> Which is a little known fact about me. People are like, you cry? You, you, you've always been passionate. You've always been genuine, passionate. And that's why I think we've been friends for so long. Real. I love real. And we've had deep conversations even while sitting there recruiting. We were having a deep conversation about something. And I was so amazed about how articulate, passionate, genuine and real that you are. You, yeah. you, you, you're that person. So it's no surprise to your friends. So for me, a lot of my friends, and I have great friends because I, I, have, I crave genuine relationships. And everyone's my, all my friends, they're, yeah. they're like my sisters. Yeah. You know, I, my, my home is open. My heart's open. I want those deep conversations yeah. that you probably had with your siblings at 12 yeah. o'clock at night when neither of you guys could fall asleep. True. Talk. I, di I didn't grow up with that. Yeah. So I'm having those with people in my life. Yeah. And I, I found out in you. I found out in you, you yeah. know. Well, you know, I, I, I love a good deep conversation. You know, I've always said, I said in, you know, in this podcast from the very beginning, I love black women. I love to talk to mm, us and yeah. know about us and know, you know, who we are. And I love all women, but being a black woman, just, you know, growing up uh, with mostly women, mm -hmm. you know, my dad was the only man in the house. I had, you know, my mom and it was three girls. Right. Most of my cousins were girls. We didn't start even having men in our family until my cousins, wow. our age, started having boys. Yeah. And we didn't even know what to do with them. We're like, what do we do with these guys? We've spent all these girls right. for so many years, you know, except for the husbands. Mm -hmm. You know, and in our family, you have to die to get out of get out of a, a marriage, marriage in my family. Wow. Oh yeah. I'm the only person and I probably should I'm probably gonna edit this, but <laughs> I'm the only person in my family that's ever gotten a divorce. Wow. You gotta die out of this thing over well, my here. My family's the complete opposite. We are a bunch <laughs> of strong women and men can't handle us. <laughs> No, we don't. I, yeah. I, I mean, we're too strong. The LaForce family. Yeah. Ooh, we a bunch of strong women. Yeah. That that island women. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Ten jobs, man. Exactly. 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 Yeah. I love that though. So let me ask you this in closing. You know, I know that it's, I have a few questions left, but I know that uh, Mothers Against Racism 
is evolving. Yes. Uh, you know, it's a new organization. And, you know, with new organizations, obviously, you know, me starting a new podcast, I get it. Like, you're letting the work tell you which direction That's that right. it should go. That's right. Yeah. So um, with that being said, like, for people who want to support what what is your website? Mm-hmm. How can they access you on YouTube or Facebook? Like, what are all of the the socials that you can share with me right now so that my listeners can support Mothers Against Racism? You can go. Okay. Uh, yeah. So we, you know, we would love um, followers, uh, like, share, subscribe on our YouTube, uh, just so that way, with whichever direction our organization ends up going, at least we've had a following. Yes. And we could bring you guys along for the journey which is exactly what it is. But our Facebook page is simply Mothers Against Racism. Um, our Instagram is at Mothers V Racism. Our Twitter is at Mothers V Racism. Our YouTube channel, Mothers Against Racism. Spotify, Mothers Against Racism, where we are selling these T-shirts that Sharana is wearing. And it also Probably. comes with a mask. <laughs> so that's our only way to uh, probably donate right now is to just wear the T-shirt and the mask and really have the conversations with people who stop you along the way and yeah. say, what's that organization? What's that about? Can you tell me a little bit? And enlighten them about our cause. And we yeah. must unite and be each other's genuine relationships, each other's best friends, each yeah. other's confidant, each, each other's resource. Just be there for one another because it's not easy. And I, I hope our, our platform, Mothers Against Racism, can be that for mothers out there. We want to support one another. We want to build that bond and unite and, and stand up for our children. Black, white, Asian. It doesn't matter. Mothers. Mothers. Yeah. You've been listening to These Three Things podcast, Mothers Against Racism with Dania LaForce. We'll be right back with These Three Things. If you like what you've been hearing today, I encourage you to go to wherever you're listening to this podcast and leave a review and tell me what you loved about this episode. Hey, this is Sharana Reeves, and I am with Dania LaForce, co-founder of Mothers Against Racism, and it is time for these three things. Number one. Diversify. When we hear this word, we think of work environments and stock portfolios, but I'm talking about your personal environment and the personal environment of your children. Queens, how diverse is your friend circle? What about your children's? To all of my mothers, especially those with young children, What grade would you give yourself on how intentional you are about diversifying your child's circle? If we are truly going to tackle and defeat this thing called racism, we must start young and they must see it at home first. And hey, I get it. Reaching out across the aisle can be uncomfortable from either direction, vulnerable even. But let's face it, what's our other option? Raise another generation in a racist, potentially violent society? As mothers, none of us want to bury our children, no matter what our race is. 
Your pod work assignment for this week is to reach out to one family that is of a different race than you and diversify your circle. Number two, no limitations. My guest Dania shared her story of how her elementary school principal told her that she couldn't attend the school of her choice because she was black. What Dania's mom said to her after that gave Dania the confidence she needed to excel and become junior class president and then senior president over the school. As mothers, what we speak into our children matters. We are gifted with the opportunity to shape how they see the world. An honor we cannot take lightly. Queens, what are you speaking into your children? If that question hits you pretty hard and you know you can do better, or maybe you're saying, I hear you, Sharana, but I don't see much positive to speak on right now with my kids. And maybe that's true. But sis, the good book tells us to speak those things that are not as though they were. So do that and then let the good Lord handle it. Forgive yourself. Ask your children to forgive you and do better. Society has a ton of limitations ready to heap over your son or daughter. And when they come home to tell you about it, Let them know that when you look at them, you see no limitations. Number three, reaching back. Something that I really appreciated about Dania and Donna, co-founders of Mothers Against Racism, was the fact that both of their children are grown adults now but they felt compelled to be a source of education and necessary conversation for mothers who are coming behind them. And it got me thinking about how, as mothers, so many of us are afraid to ask for help when we need it. But how Dania and Donna saw a need and stepped in to be a help. Oftentimes, as career women, we get so focused on the next level that we forget to look back and see who we can help along the way. As women, our job really isn't about becoming the queen bee sitting on our throne and looking down. Our job is becoming a queen sitting on our throne and reaching back. Okay, queens and kings, that's it for this episode. I'll see you next Tuesday for a new episode of These Three Things.